All right, guys, everyone come take a seat. Let's get going. All right, good morning. Welcome. Sorry, we're starting about 10 minutes late here. Apparently, Focus stole our uh, sound equipment, which I think they own anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, that's good. Fine. Just gives us more time to talk and hang out. Uh, which, speaking of Focus, wasn't the showcase amazing last night? Uh, if you didn't get to see it, I'm sure maybe possibly it'll be taped and you'll be able to uh, access it. Okay, Drew saying yes. What a great show. Uh, it's not too late to still donate if you want to. Remember that this goes toward uh, taking leaders, our college leaders, uh, to Sikkim, which is a student institute of campus ministry, which this year we're doing on our own here in August. So big deal, great show, it was awesome. I encourage you to watch that, um, you know, uh, or give to that cause. If you have any questions, you can ask us. A couple other announcements. We've got our marriage seminar next Saturday at 3 o'clock. That's going to be an hour and a half. It's going to be Zoom. We're pulling in uh, Aaron and Amy Knowles. Uh, this is a church-wide thing, so all five of our churches are going to be participating in that. Um, and so uh, if you're newly married, been married for a while, it doesn't really matter. Uh, come listen to uh, them talk a little bit about just doing ministry and being married and what that looks like. Okay? And then also we have Spring Hita, okay, which is our our fundraiser for our teens to send them to camp. And that's going to be on the 24th. I believe it's at five, but maybe six. Does anyone know? Anyone want to confirm one way or the other? No? Yes? Okay, cool. We'll just, you know, at some point we'll post about that. It's a great event. All week is a, uh, a live auction or a, a silent auction. And then the day of is a live auction. There's a lot of really cool things going for that. Again, that goes to um, sending our teens to camp. All right, and I think I've got everything. Anybody else have an announcement that I'm missing, something that I've forgotten? Yes, no, possibly. Okay, are we good to go up here? Awesome, all right. Good morning, everybody. So I'll be reading from John 20 and 21 today and um, sharing some thoughts over that that Tony has prepared. Um, so if you want to follow along, you're more than ah! welcome to. All right. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone has been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked into, at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that has been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to, be, had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not, rec she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried on Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brother and tell my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on to them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have forgiven anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you have not forgiven them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I have seen the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the door was locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers in here and see my hands. Reach out to your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in his book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out going into the boat, but that night they did not caught, uh, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you, haven't you found any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, whom Jesus said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him saying, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was a large, it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And then, and they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to them after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but you were 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciples whom Jesus loved was following them. This was one of the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is, it, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciples would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He said, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote to them. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for books that would be written. Whew. Now I'm going to share the thoughts. Give me one second. Okay. Um, so this is what Tony says. Jesus' resurrection signifies so much for us believers and for the world. Here are a couple of observations for what I think it could mean for us today. Joy in life. Looking back at scripture to when he first appeared to the disciples, John chapter 20, verse 19, it says his disciples will fill with joy. This can be the same for us today. There is a joy in knowing our Lord conquered sin and death for us in a way that no one else could, in a way that was so sacrificial and loving. The shedding of Jesus' blood and his death and resurrection shows us that Jesus paid for innumerable sins, but that he also deals with our sin nature so that we have life and transform through him. This is a truth and hope that we should remember daily or often as we wrestle with our own brokenness and brokenness in the world around us. The end of chapter 20 says, but these miraculous signs that Jesus showed are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that believing in him, you will not have, that you will have life by the power of his name. Christ came to pay a price. He did not owe because we had a debt we could not pay. He did that because he loves us. I pray that love became, becomes more and more apparent in our lives and that it challenges us to be a better reflection of him and his church. So now we're going to break out into groups and reflect over uh, John 20 and 21 and discuss the following questions. What does this convey about the heart of God? What might this be communicating to you and your community? What might it look like for you to respond in obedience? And how does the resurrection of Christ give you hope and present? Uh, and also, take communion when you're in your small group. Thank you. All right, if you will move back kind of towards the front here, look at me. That'd be great. Um, yeah, happy Easter. Uh, you may be like me, uh, someone who just doesn't get very excited about stuff. Uh, I don't tend to get really, um, I don't look forward to a lot. <laughs> it sounds really sad. I'm just kind of even keel. And, uh, you know, that's been a strength, I think, for a long time because in the midst of or in the face of crisis or difficult situations, uh, I'm pretty cool-headed. But I've grown, I think, recently uh, to realize that there's kind of a numbness in that uh, as adults that we can uh, sort of stop feeling certain things, stop getting excited about stuff. And this morning in, in just being here and listening to uh, 
uh, Troy and Nathan and in the worship thought, I just want to encourage you, and maybe I'm just encouraging myself mostly here, is to be joyful today. To be joyful. Not just happy, uh, but to think about what it really means to be joyful. Uh, what Jesus has done for us, and, and more importantly, who he is, is something that in the midst of all things ever, we have the ability to, to find a deep well of joy in who he is. He's overcome death. He's got the power of death in his hands. The thing that we're most afraid of, the thing that drives most of our insecurities, he has the power over. And that's really amazing. Uh, and so I just would encourage you today, and I'm echoing a lot. Do I need to go? What do I need to do? Back behind it? Yeah, maybe there we go. Um, to think through what it means to really be joyful despite whatever is going on in your life, despite what's going on in the world, what does it mean to really have joy in the resurrection and in Christ? All right? And I'm going to mention a couple things here, but uh, I think that's going to have to take whatever form the Spirit uh, shapes it in your own mind and in your own heart today. But don't lose that. Think about it. Take some time today. Maybe it's five minutes, ten minutes. What does it look like to really draw on that well of joy um, and just the hope that comes from, uh, from who God is and what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll launch in. God, you are a merciful God. You forgive us 70 times 7. You're constantly calling us back to you. When we don't deserve it, and it all started when we were your enemies, and you still cared for us, loved us. I just ask that today in our hearts and in our minds, uh, you would give us a message about having joy in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of dry times, uh, boring times. Just speak a message of joy into our hearts that we can uh, just see how good we have it in your kingdom. We love you, Lord. Amen. Uh, one quick announcement that I did forget before is we do something around here called LTGs. They're called Life Transformation Groups. They're uh, same-gendered, one. there's you know, between two and four people. Well, we're re-signing up people for that uh, this next month, two months. And so if you've been in a group that's lasted longer than like 12 or 18 months, we're asking you to kind of switch it up a little bit. Uh, if you've already, particularly for you men, signed up through uh, Sean or Manny, you don't have to re-sign up, okay, unless you uh, want to tell us something different. So, but in the next month, we're going, or actually in the next week, we're going to have a, a survey, a form that you fill out so that we can have kind of a larger list of people who want to be involved in LTGs so that you guys can kind of form that on your own. And if you have any questions about that, uh, what it is, it's really just about an hour long, sometimes a little bit longer, it's confession, holding accountability, just kind of talking in real terms about your life with people, again, uh, in our church. So if you've got questions about that, you can ask the Eskimo over there uh, in the uh, red uh, blanket and, uh, and or Manny, who I think is pretty close nearby. Yes. Hi. Great. All right. Did I cover that pretty well? Okay, great. All right. Well, we've been in a sermon series uh, since the beginning of the year on the Old Testament, New Testament, the consistency of both Testaments, all right? And we're moving last week from talking about the Holy Spirit to talking about the Old Testament law and how we possibly can make sense of Old Testament law and the ethics of Christianity. I'm going to kind of uh, 
sort of intro intro that today because I wanted to, to talk a message that more coincided with the resurrection and with Easter. Um, but that's kind of where we're at. And so next week, we'll talk about the laws of culture and the laws that no longer apply. Melissa will be talking the week after that, I think, on social justice. Garrett will be coming and talking about, is it an eye for an eye, or do we love our enemies? How do we make sense of this? Uh, and then Josh, I think, is wrapping up with Beatitudes and community. No, I think Leslie's going to preach something at the end of that. All right, so that's what's up. So, um, yes, the sermon today, the spirit of the law. All right. So we talk a lot about the spirit of the law, right? The idea of the spirit of the law is that you've got a law and it's some intended purpose. And uh, hopefully that purpose is, you know, happens. There's sort of something interesting going on in uh, uh, voting rights in Georgia and Texas where people are starting to try to change the law on voting. Now, people are arguing about what the spirit of the law is. Is it really voter suppression? Are we really trying to get rid of fraud? I'm not here to talk about that. I am just giving you an example uh, about the spirit of the law. What are these laws really attempting to do? And we talk a lot about that. And we try to, in our thinking about the law, think about what, are the, what is the spirit of the law. I want to suggest to you that this is the wrong approach if you're a Christian. We are not interested as Christians in the spirit of the law. We are interested instead in the law of the spirit. Okay? And hopefully I can make some sense of that to you in a moment. As Melissa rightly pointed out last week, and I think maybe we fixed that audio, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, we didn't? Oh, okay, great. Well, well, we'll just have you redo it uh, and uh, for our benefit because it was a really great one, and I think it makes a lot of sense and transitions us pretty well. All right? So spirit of the law. Well, we talk about the spirit of the law because that allows us to kind of control the laws around us. If we say, well, the spirit of the law is this... You know, we don't need to really pay attention to the letter. I can kind of manipulate that law however I want, all right? So it's back into our hands. That's why we like talking about uh, the spirit of the law, all right? Uh, this didn't work at all with Israel, right? Because people, as Melissa pointed out, I think last time, when we tend to look at the spirit of the law, we tend to go to the minimums, right? When Jesus uh, chastise the Pharisees. He says, you do an amazing job of tithing mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Like, oh, I don't know, justice and mercy. So when we are living in accordance with the law, we have this natural tendency to live down to minimums. All right? Because it's a lot easier that way. It's harder to actually fulfill the harder laws. So we'll just pick the, the smaller ones, or we'll try to kind of like figure out what the purpose of the law is and fulfill it uh, in a real minimum way. So that just doesn't work. The old law, the Old Testament proved that through the life of Israel. The other problem is it often can't legislate against or control or whatever you want to say, positive behavior. The law generally just tells you what not to do. It doesn't do a very good job of empowering you for what you ought to do. We tend to think about sin like that, unfortunately, that sin in the Christian way of thinking is just a long list of not to do's. If you're still thinking that way, I want to encourage you, you are a baby in your faith. And James, he talks about sin is knowing the good you ought to do and not doing it. That raises the bar way high. It isn't just a list of not to do's. In fact, it's much harder than that. It's a list of to-dos, and the to-dos are, I'm following after Jesus and living 
a life like his, which is a very, very, very high standard. So as Christians, we don't live in accordance with the spirit of the law. We're not trying to figure out what the purpose of the law is anymore. We live, okay, by the law of the spirit. Okay, the focus is on the spirit, not on the law. And hopefully we made sense of that and convinced you of that in this last section uh, where we talked about the spirit and his role in our lives and how that all works. But I want to break this down for you a little bit more. And we're going to read a lot of scripture really quickly. The first is going to be in Ezekiel in chapter 36. And I want to show you how this works out, the law of the spirit. Okay? So Ezekiel 36, 28 through 36. So Ezekiel, the background really quickly here, uh, the northern kingdom Israel has gone into exile, the Syrians, Judah now is about to be, well, it, it, at this point in Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is broken up into two halves, the first half, they've gone into to captivity in Babylon, this end part is like now that they're in captivity, Ezekiel is trying to help them look forward to the future of what's going to happen after they go back home, all right? Uh, so 33, what did I say it was? 38, there we go. No, it can't be 38. 36. 36, 28, okay, great. I've got to write these notes better. Okay, so I'm actually going to start in 22. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. These things meaning take them out of the land that they've been in, give them the food uh, that they haven't had, uh, all these really, really good things. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. And this is going to be a very important point. We're going to wrap this all the way back around when we finish. But notice what he's saying. Your bad behavior, your inability to follow the laws have profaned my name to all of the nations around you. Okay? You've messed up my reputation bad. And this is why you're in exile. But the good news here uh, is that God has a plan. So for well, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Come back to this in a moment because this is really important. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will uh, call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine. Then you will remember your evil and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. But on that day, I'll cleanse you from your sins, resettle your towns, on and on and on and on. You kind of get the point here and you can read this entire section if you want. So two things. Number one, God is putting to death the heart of stone, okay? Putting to death the heart of stone. The heck does that mean? 
It can mean a lot of things, okay? But in the grand scheme of things, in terms of the law, the heart of stone is ultimately about wanting to be in charge of their own lives and having no affection towards God, no trust, wanting to see the world black and white, do this, do that, and not have to trust in God. And he's saying, I'm going to take away that heart of stone that makes you hard against me, wants to live your own way, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. But not only that, I'm going to put a spirit in you that will move you towards following my decrees. It's pretty exciting because the idea is that God has put to death, Jesus dying, this old way of doing things and has resurrected our very heart towards him. Resurrected us so that when we live by the law of the spirit, we're actually moving towards wanting to obey him rather than having to make this sort of, you know, willful uh, a decision every day, day in, day out. We're moving in that direction. All right? And then you kind of have to note here in this passage, what's the, the sort of full purpose of him doing this? It's not just for these individual people. It's for the nations, for his name and reputation to be back, to, to come back to its original, his original reputation among the nations. All right? So the next one, Romans 7, 1 through 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by a law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may, might belong to another, okay? to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the written code. All right? So the same thing here. The law has not been put to death, okay? But it... it uh, our relationship with the law has been put to death. We are no longer slaves to it. So the, de the law, not dead, but our slavery to the law is dead. A slavery to the law, what does that mean? It means that every day, day in, day out, most of how I think about who I should be is a set of rules that I've either fashioned for myself, that culture has fashioned for me, that maybe God's remnant of his conscience in my mind has told me this is good, this is bad, and if I can just live in accordance with these rules, I'll be okay. I'll be good. I'll be a functioning, healthy human adult, okay? But he's saying that's, no, we're, we're slaves to that system and that Jesus has uprooted that slavery to the law and instead given us the ability to be slave to the spirit, the spirit's law, okay? Uh, hopefully this is making sense, but you know, we'll keep working on it, all right? So uh, we serve the spirit, uh, and, and that simply can't be a written code of laws, right? The spirit is far more 
complex. Obviously, he's constantly changing uh, who we are, and there's not some written code that we worry about following anymore. If you think about it like this, imagine living in the Garden of Eden and having one rule. God's going back to the one rule way of doing things. Just trust me. (laughs) And that's what the Spirit brings. The law of the Spirit brings back this original relationship in Eden where we don't have a whole lot of rules to follow. We're beyond following the rules. That's the baby's game. And we're, we're following the spirit as he leads us. Okay, the next passage here uh, in our last one is gonna be James 1, 22. Or actually, I have one more after that. But so what's the application of this idea? Um, well, I've got two passages for you to think through. Uh, so James 1, 22 is the first one. And this is a pretty, uh, I think you'll remember this. This is in our Focus on Jesus study. A lot of you, uh, I, oh, I guess I lost it. Yeah, there we go. Okay, James 1 in verse 22. Therefore, well, I'm going to do 21 because it works good. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. One of the more comical, um, uh, I think, analogies in scripture, right? You forget what you look like, have to go back and look at it again. Uh, The law does that talk about that in a moment. So after looking at himself goes away, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they would be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion's worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans, widows, and their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We're going to move over to uh, chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Aren't they the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones blaspheming the noble name of to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right. So how does the law of the Spirit give freedom? Well, as we've already kind of talked about, we're a slave to a law system apart from Christ. Whatever that law system is, a a set of codes of religion, culture, whatever, we're just a slave to it. 
uh, we just naturally are going to live uh, down to those minimums uh, that, uh, that we've kind of sort of placed on ourselves, we've gotten from around us, whatever. Um, so, we're released from that slavery to the law, which actually only makes us worse people. How does the law make us worse people? Well, Paul says it, when we know the law, we now realize just how far it is uh, for us to actually accomplish those things. So we begin picking and choosing laws that work for us, and, and, and we make sense of it. And so the law actually uh, convicts us of sin and makes us worse in terms of who we are. But we're freed now to be forgiven and move, move forward to true religion, caring for others, living lives way above the standard of the world. So think about it like this. Um, there's kind of an analogy here. If you think about what happened in resurrection and Pentecost, Jesus died, gave us a new life, a life that would now not be the same life that people were living based on old laws and old ways of thinking about things. And then immediately after that, Pentecost happens, and now we're, t we're doing what Ezekiel said in the first place. We've been given this new spirit, been given this new heart, and we immediately proclaim it to all the world that this is now available for anyone and everyone, spoken in their own language, uh, spoken with the hope that comes from repentance. All right? And so you've got the first and then the last. I want to read Matthew 5.30 and, and hopefully sum up here this uh, far too complex topic that I've decided to teach in 25 minutes. So Matthew 5 will be our last spot. And we're going to start here in um, 13. Matthew 5, 13. Is that what you asked? Okay, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your sh light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, guys, this comes right after the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the Spirit's law, the law of the Spirit, Beatitudes. It's right there for you, okay? Jesus teaching in a very, very, very basic way, here's the goal of what living a right life looks like. And it isn't about the Ten Commandments. Although those haven't disappeared, that was just the bottom line, the baseline. The Beatitudes are the real stuff of the Spirit's law. Okay? So but he's saying that and then saying that when you live like this, people will be drawn to God. God will be glorified by the life that you live when you live according to the Spirit's law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisee and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been an oh-something moment for the Pharisees, uh, I mean for the disciples, to hear that they had to be more righteous than the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees were the most righteous people around. So the, the, the thing that, that Jesus is telling them that you guys are going to have to be more righteous to even get into the kingdom of heaven would have been to them like a how? I don't, we're not near as good at following the law as the Pharisees are. But he wasn't talking about this law. He was talking about the Spirit's law. Okay? So um, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't murder anyone that murders with subject to judgment. Yeah, 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 all that other stuff. You can talk about yeah, murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, eye for an eye. But then watch what happens at the very end. The last sentence of this entire chapter is, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what's the conclusion to all this? Living by the law won't bring God's glory to the nations. Whatever law it is you're living by, okay? Your own law, the church's law, American Christianity, whatever it is, it's not going to bring God's glory to the nations. Only living by the law of the Spirit will do that. All right? Now we ask, how do we know if we're living by the law of the Spirit? Well, we'll talk about that more, but let me give you a couple ideas here. Okay? Um, so living by the law won't bring God's glory to the nation. It simply shows we're good at keeping our own rules. Okay? Or more likely, twisting them to our advantage. Living down to the letter. But living by the Spirit frees us from these cultural and moral minimums. All right? And moves us towards the maximum. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Spirit is bringing up, okay, uh, our sort of way of life and way of living. And if we're not seeing that consistently and constantly, we may have forgotten our call and forgotten the hope that we have in Christ and are back to living according to the law, which is, it'll happen. It happens all the time. I look back on my last, like, probably two or three weeks, and I've had a rough couple of, of weeks, not because of circumstance, because I've just not been living right. <laughs> the last couple of weeks, I just have not personally been living right, all right? I've been living down to, uh, you know, what I think is going to be the baseline, make me an okay person. And as I was doing this sermon in 15 minutes, um, Melissa tells me I shouldn't say that, but I haven't said it in like a year, so what up? Uh, I was just convicted of that. And that's partly why I, I enjoy preaching uh, is mostly because of the conviction that it comes. But guys, that's, that's a, an okay realization. If I'm living in accordance with the law of human nature, then I look at what I've done in the last three weeks and I think I'm awful. And I can go one of two ways. One, I can justify it and say, ah, it's bad, I'll get better tomorrow, which we all do. And then as we're slowly sinking down into a pit, okay? Or I can say, you know, that's really not that big of a deal. I'm gonna change my law, my way of thinking in, in accordance with that. But I don't have to do that in Christ. I don't have to go to those extremes of either saying the next day I'm going to be better or lowering my standards so that I can apply it. I can look to Jesus, be forgiven for the last three weeks, and for this, to just pick right back up and let the Spirit start working in me again without the guilt that I feel right now from thinking back on my two or three weeks. Yes, guilt can be good and can be healthy, but ultimately, if we don't have hope as a result of our guilt, we're just going to continue the same patterns over and over again. But as a Christian, I can look with hope that the Spirit wants to do something in me that far surpasses any get help or get uh, quick help, self-help programs. It, he's reaching so much more beyond my idea of what a good person even looks like. And this is challenging for us, guys, because if our life doesn't look better than the lives of people around us, and I'm talking far better, 
then we've got a lot more room to grow, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing, because God's promised to do that through His Spirit. And as Christians, as Paul says, we don't use grace as an excuse for low living, but we do use grace as an opportunity or as a, um, a potential to say it each day, I've messed up, I've done awful, I have a high standard to live to, and I know that the Spirit can do that in me. And that's just hope in that. It's just really, really good news. Because the alternative is to be a slave to the law, which we all are, and being a slave to the Spirit of God is much, much better. All right? So quick questions on that. I, I kind of put that in and tried to do this Pentecost Passover or Pentecost resurrection thing, and I think I had maybe like four ideas I was trying to work together. Um, so any questions before we, uh, we end up? Yeah. Yeah, so the question is like, so it seems like maybe Paul and Jesus talk about the law in different ways. Uh, that Jesus says it's not gone away, that Paul says it has. But if you go back and look at what Paul's talking about, it's just simply, at least as in my reading of it, he's talking about our slavery to the law has died. And even in that Romans passage, he's not saying that the law itself is dead. He's saying our slavery to the old way of doing things has died. Guys, the law is the minimum requirement. And as we'll study these next couple months, we'll see just how weird the law was. A lot of it was cultural. A lot of it was the time frame. But a lot of it, too, was helping them realize the baseline of relating with God, which Melissa talked about a lot last week and was very helpful, I think, to think through. And if we're, as Christians, living down to the Christian law or the American law, we're simply replacing the Old Testament law with our new set of laws, which are ultimately going to simply lead to death. They do not save. Only the law of the Spirit can possibly save us. But that's a good thing because I don't think, I mean, you know, it's hard day in, day out, but the Spirit is doing something in us, uh, making us that hill uh, or that light on a hill so that the glory of God uh, is manifest to the nations around us. And that's really, really encouraging. And unfortunately, I think more Christians need to hear that, particularly during this time period. Other questions? about what the heck I just talked about for 25 minutes. If not, you can always come back. I'll try to make more sense of it uh, over the course of the next couple weeks when we talk about uh, the law. Well, you, you got the law for the next four or, five, uh, four or five weeks, all right? All right, I think Don's going to come up and lead you in a shepherd's prayer. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. And happy Easter again. Joyful. Take an opportunity today to think about uh, the joy that we have in Christ. Good to see you guys. Um, here, let me get in front of the mic so you can hear me better. A couple of uh, prayer requests for you guys. Um, Charlotte, who's the daughter of Mariah Mason, uh, granddaughter of Frank and Brandy Walton, uh, she has been diagnosed with cancer. And we need to be strong prayer, prayer warriors for this family. So if you would be uh, keeping her and their family in your prayers, that would be great. And I have some celebration. I'm going to mess this up, but Leslie's going to save me in a minute if I miss anything. But Ryan and Adrian had their baby. Yay, healthy. However, apparently there's a collarbone issue that they're going to be dealing with. But uh, congratulations to our parents. It's a beautiful thing. So, got to love that. Uh, Monday night, we really would love you guys to join Kurt and I for our Shepherd Prayer Time. Uh, if you haven't read our little announcement either on Facebook, on our Den North page, or in the newsletter, uh, we're going to spend some time praying for our Denton community. And for those of you that remember all those many years ago when we started Denton North, one of our little projects we did is we drove through the city 
and parked in various locations as groups and spent time praying for our new home, which is going to be Denton. And when I think back on that and where we are today, you know, I, I find myself standing here in front of the GDAC and, you know, many of the restaurants and places we've haunted and, and people we've met and things we've done together as a church community uh, really are just filling my mind with great memories. Uh, so we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate focus. And then we're also going to celebrate the future. What is that going to look like? We're going to spend time praying about this community, what more we can do as members of this community, as members of this body of Christ to help uh, grow uh, more and more people into a great relationship with Christ. So 7 o'clock tomorrow night on Zoom. Uh, I believe we'll have a link on the uh, newsletter for you to join us. Also on the newsletter, there's a little uh, place you can click on. If you have like specific prayer requests that you would like to share, put those in. Uh, if you'd like for them to be anonymous, you can mark that. But uh, we'll make sure that we spend time praying for those requests as well. But uh, we would love to see as many of you on there and, you know, kind of relive our our church Zoom days, you know, with uh, trying to see how many people I can see on my screen. But, yeah, we'd love to have you guys join us Monday night. Let's pray. Uh, God, we just thank you for blessing us, uh, for bringing us here now a year after, uh, that you're seeing us through this very weird and difficult time with COVID and, and masks and separation for loss. Uh, this has been a, a tough time, but yet just as we celebrate the resurrection of your son, we celebrate the fact that we have life. We have life through you. Uh, that we, whether we're on a phone or whether here in person, uh, we are thankful that you are our God, that you provided us your son and your spirit. Uh, help us as we grow individually, as we pull ourselves up when we do make mistakes. Help us to not be stuck there. Help us to realize that your grace and your mercy can build us anew every day, every moment. Uh, thank you, Father, for this uh, time of Easter, for this time of celebrating your son's resurrection. Uh, and I just pray today that we'll enjoy our times together with our families and our friends. Uh, just continue to use us and, and bless what we do for you. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.